Rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther, Thurgood Marshall, Jackie Robinson, James Brown, and I first knew him as Nate from Lincoln Heights. Rest in power, King. My heavy hitters and my lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Defense Podcast, episode three. I'd like me walking out to my channel again. With a heavy heart, I bring you this podcast this week. It's been a tumultuous week. We lost another great one this week, and quite frankly, 2020 has been nothing but drama, nothing but pain. You know, I alluded to something good or things good have happened because you've gotten close to your family. You spend more time with your kids. You spend time doing things that you normally don't have to do or can't or have done feel like you don't have time to do in your day-to-day life when you're working 80 hours a week and trying to take care of your family and do things in that small window of time that you have free that's not dedicated to your job or your craft or even longer than that in certain people's cases but 2020 has definitely slowed us down but it's brought us nothing but heartache and, and issues and people losing their lives, you know, through this pandemic, through this just normal death. And, you know, I, I guess we probably wouldn't figure it to be a, you know, not so traumatic if it was, you know, we were going by the everyday lives, but it makes you really focus on the fact that, you know, life is precious and life is very fragile. and. In the blink of an eye, you know, the most powerful people, the most people that think they're superhuman can be gone and through tragedy or, or disease and and it's, it's it's rough it's rough to to consider, you know. You know, people don't go through their day to day lives thinking that they're going to, you know, die here's the day gone tomorrow, you know, but as people always say, you know, when your time is up, your time is up. But you know, it's hard pressed to believe that you know, certain people were done with their life's work, but you know, who am I to question? So we're gonna press on, we're gonna press on with the show. Um, you know, it definitely took me some time to get my thoughts together and understand, you know, what I wanted to discuss because it's not just about losing a great actor, you know, a great mentor, a great mogul in the black community, you know, it's, a broken record that is police brutality and and more people getting shot despite the microscope that this particular issue of social injustice has had. You know, um, we've had, you know, resounding and, and loud backlash, you know, from the sports world, you know, as far as them being tired and upset about the fact that this is continue to happen and 
you know, I feel like it's an overall onslaught on people of color, you know, that we didn't see coming. And, you know, it hasn't wavered no matter what you say or do, you know, and quite frankly, people in the sports world and people in the world in general that, you know, have any type of, you know, shade to their skin are, are really growing tired of the fact that you treat people of that are that treat them as the very less than you, you know, not equal footing. Like as if we don't have the same blood and running through our veins, we won't born birth the same way. We won't put on this earth by the same methodology, you know, and it's, it's definitely a situation where we have to do what we have to do in order to let them know that we won't stand for it anymore. And that's what the NBA and the NFL set out to do this weekend. You know, there wasn't a lot of news, quite frankly. You know, it was definitely dominated by the idea that, you know, when Jacob Blake got shot and it rang around the world yet again, um, you know, more protests ensued from a state standpoint and they, NBA followed suit, you know. But we'll get into that. Um... We'll re- we'll recap our who's in the new segment, of course, and we'll talk about the NBA playoffs. We'll recap that. Um, I did want to touch on the idea of what NFL teams plan to do as far as stadium seating for the first quarter of the season, and then we'll get into it, man. Um, you know, we have to discuss this issue of social injustice and what the protests mean for the NBA and the NFL, and how the front office is treating this particular issue when the players decided that they wanted to protest. And um, I would stay tuned for for the record because it's definitely going to be one of a kind. You know, the topics I'm going to discuss today are definitely going to be controversial. And they're definitely going to be something that you definitely will want to listen to and be a part of because I definitely feel like I need to get some things on my chest. Uh, We'll talk about Chargers Corner. We'll talk about the Lakers locker room and then we'll preview the AFC, excuse me, the NFC and the North and the West. We'll get into that in a... We'll close it out of fourth quarter and uh we'll we'll get into it, man. Um once again, rest in peace to Chadwick Bozeman. And um please stay tuned for the next segment. Who's in the news? Lockdown Devens Podcast. And welcome back to Who's in the New segment. This is the Lockdown Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. I want to get into the topics today on Who's in the News. Um, this past week, like I said, is in the intro, there's been definitely been some heavy hitting problems and and issues going on in the world. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it just seems to be getting very much more dark before it gets light. 
and uh it's definitely something that we have to address and speak on you know my platform is an upstart you know i'm getting it off the ground but you know it's something that's been weighing heavy on my heart for quite a long time you know and we're going to talk about it today you know and we're going to discuss about what the nba and nfl did in response to the jacob blake shooting and you know how they are sick and tired of you know little to no action from politicians and lawmakers and authorities that have the ability to do things that they just refuse to do them but first of all we're gonna get on to the nba playoffs and recap um you know starting from last week and monday um it was mama day you know rest in peace to Kobe Bryant. and um you know the lakers had a very very interesting and dominant performance against the trailblazers um you know going into it you know i, I really felt like you know it was going to be special it was definitely a special performance um you know lebron and ad definitely put on the show and um you know they got out to a very very early lead things started like 15 nothing and it just was steamrolled from there you know the blazers could never recover and you know once i saw the 24 to 8 score on the on the scoreboard i said oh, it's over it's, it's over and it's they have no shot. They they really didn't have any chance. I mean, I don't care how well Damian Lillard or anybody else played in that particular aspect of it. The uh, the idea of what the day meant and who we were playing for that day didn't it it, it ran rough shot over anybody we had played that day. I mean, we played the NBA title that game. You know, the NBA title was on that line that day. No matter who we played, you could bring the '96 Bulls in here. It wouldn't matter. We could still had a business. It was just a, just a different day. You know, and you can see it in the players, and they were definitely focused. Um, you know, we had an issue, you know, uh, you know, over the past, um, you know, week or so between Luka Doncic and Montrez Harold about them going back and forth. You know, we'll get into that for the record more so, but it was an issue with that. People were discussing that and the idea of, you know, Montrez having something derogatory to say to Luka and, you know, what that meant for, you know, a lot of people. You know, and, uh, you know, Montrez has since apologized, but he definitely uh, had a lot to, to say um, in the heat of the moment, I guess you can say. And, you know, I struggle with that you know, because it's one of those things where, you know, are you sorry, truly sorry about what you said, you know, because it was a mistake or were you, are you sorry you got caught? You know, did you, I, cause I feel like, you know, when people utter strong statements like that, they really mean it, you know, in a large part. You know, they really mean it, you know, they, you know, and it, it showed a lack of respect for Luca, in all honesty, you know, um, you know, from my perspective and my lens, I don't think Luca has been anything but, you know, a model citizen, you know, from a basketball standpoint. I mean, he's competitive, you know, he's fiery, you know, he wants to play, you know, you know, he's an overseas kid, you know, and he's been playing with pros since a teenager, you know, so he has a grit, you know, and I think people take that, Lightly because of his skin color, you know, realistically slain. You know, I think that, um, I think Montrez was, you know, you know, truthful in what he said. Um, but, you know, I think he was apologetic, but he wasn't sorry. And, you know, if you know what that means, you know, it's one of those things where if you're truly sorry because it was truly mistaken, it was a accident or things of that nature, then you're sorry and apologetic. But if you're apologetic, you know, you're not necessarily sorry because you said it. And, you know, at the heat of the moment, you meant it, but you were, you know, you apologized for the for the optics of it. You know, and I think that's what ended up happening to me. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not I mean, honestly, I'm not hating on Montrez. You know, I think he's a really good player. 
You know, I mean, it's not, it's not biased there. I mean, he plays the Clipper, that's fine. You know, I don't, you know, I hold no ill will to any player or any man because, you know, they play for a team that's a buyer, team's rival. I'm not the type of person. That's not the type of person I am. But I think that, um, you know, we, you know, you know, especially in the times that we're in, it was a situation where I think that he, he should, you know, just kept it in the game, you know, and, you know, it's, it's hard enough to fight in this country for respect, you know, from people that aren't, that don't look like you, if you're, if you're people of color, you know, so to, you know, to, for us to try to, you know, demand respect from people that don't look like us, you know, we can't stoop to that level, in my opinion, you know, I just don't think that's right. You know, I mean, some people say he was justified, some people say he wasn't, but, you know, I just don't think we should stoop to that type of level, man. You know, it's it's not it's not becoming of people that's trying to, you know, be looked at as better and not looked at as three eighths of a person and things of that nature. You know, so you just can't. You know, I'm not saying we have to be perfect. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we have to be, you know, above the pettiness. You know, and the bickering. You know, to a degree. You know, if we want to demand justice, we need to you know, wear the cloth of people that look like they they need and deserve justice. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that I think that, uh, you know, those two things were the headlines before things went down um, in the bubble, you know. You know, we'll, we'll address the, you know, the protests and the boycott, you know, in in a few seconds. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, you know, wasn't a lot of, you know, fanfare as far as the plays were concerned. I mean, we didn't really get through, you know, much this week. I mean, you know, games got, you know, cut short real quick. And it was one of those things where that drove the headlines more so than actual play. So we'll talk about stadium seating for the NFL real quick. Um, I, I read a report that Adam Schefter uh, tweeted about what all 32 teams, uh, NFL teams plan to do about their stadium and having fans. So, and this goes back to my point I made a few podcasts ago about the idea of not having a uniform plan. You know, I mentioned that, you know, the Cowboys and the Chiefs and a few other teams were interested in hosting fans at a certain minor, moderate level um, in the beginning of the season, you know, um, and through, you know, and so on. And, you know, but... Most teams, you know, I definitely, after I read through it thoroughly, I think that most teams are doing it, let's say, by quarter by quarter basis. You're looking at 16 games, you know, every four games is a quarter, right? Um, so at least for the first quarter of the season, you know, most teams are opting to not have fans and they'll reassess the levels um, of outbreak and, you know, cases and things of that nature. They'll just look at the numbers and decide whether or not they're going to honestly and truly um, have fans going forward from there, um, which is smart. You know, I mean, you know, at one point people were saying, you know, teams like the Chargers and a few others were saying that they weren't going to have fans at all. I know Vegas, the Vegas Raiders said the same thing, you know, and it, it was really, you know, admirable, but it really sucks for those two teams in particular because they opened new stadiums, you know, so I'm sure they relished the idea of having fans in a brand new stadium. I mean, if you've been looking on social media, if your fans any of those teams have just been looking, just a sports fan in general, and it seemed the optics of these stadiums, they're they're masterpieces, you know. So why wouldn't you want to share that with fans? But they valued human life and their team safety and people's safety and their fan safety over the idea of selling tickets, which I think should be the 
forefront of what everybody's mindset should be, but it isn't that way. You know, um, like I said, there are a few teams. I think the Dolphins were mixed in there, maybe the Jags. And, you know, I, I see a pattern, to be honest with you, of who the owners are and who they support and what their plans are for their fans. And, you know, they share the same similar sentiment in the states they're in. I mean, Florida's having a tough time. Texas is having a tough time, you know, with their breakouts, you know, because they open up things too early. And, you know, it's, you know, and I think that, you know, like conversely, I think the Giants and the Jets are really under strict mandates from their leadership saying that they were just there until further notice they want to have fans. So they'd probably be the last uh, people that have fans in their stadium, maybe towards the end of the season. But that, again, that runs into the idea of, you know, cold and flu season because, you know, hitting in, you know, late October, early November to December timeframe, that's cold weather, you know, and they say that we could have another rash of outbreaks and who knows, we could be back to square one. So we really don't know, you know, what's going to happen, you know, with that. So we really could be looking at a, uh, issue of not having fans period and what's that going to look like what the objects are going to be for that you know i don't know yeah it's, it's one of those things where it's it, i think that you know it, i think the nba was because it's a closed environment it's a smaller you know it wasn't i want to say small well, it's smaller in some regards from a stadium perspective but you know the dynamics of a football game versus a basketball game is two different things you know, I think you can pull off the idea of having a basketball game with simulated crowd noise and this, that, and the third and, and virtual fans in a closed environment of a gym style bubble, you know, fixation that they have in Orlando. But a wide open stadium with, you know, you know, people are honestly and truly spread out, you know, through the stratosphere of these stadiums and no fans at all is going to be different. It's going to be different. I mean, you can put speakers in strategic locations and simulate certain things and make it sound authentic. But I'm curious what their plan is going to be, you know, but, you know, just speaking on that stadium seating idea as a whole, I think that, you know, I think everybody should, should err on the side of caution and and not have fans, at least for the first two or three games to see how things go. And slowly and surely, if things are still calm, usher them back in at a small, small rate and spread them out. You know, um, you know, maybe just season ticket holders and that, you know, that nature, you know, don't sell any, um, you know, loose tickets to sell, just see, just offer, you know, a small segment or a lot, do it like a lottery of your season ticket holders and pick those people who want to, you know, come to the game if they're a season ticket holder. And, and if they opt out, they, you move on to the next person and that just be the procedure. And you only limit to say like a thousand people, you know, then maybe go to 2000 and so on and so forth. But you should definitely slow walk it and don't, rush into having fans especially if the ratings are different because people aren't tuning in because they're just don't like the optics of the no fans persona but you know we'll see what the nfl does but I'm, I'm curious how the teams that are trying to rush fans into the stadium day one are going to handle things you know but i think that the, that the uniform plan should be to you know not do it at all in the beginning and then slowly usher it in slowly if things check out you know, because we still have to wait for the idea of them breaking camp because I said previously that it's, you know, once they break camp and they go home every day and they're introduced to who their kids are introduced to and who their parents are introduced to and their wives and, you know, or introduced to and their family introduced to every day because they're moving back and forth and, you know, trying to force kids and back into schools and things of that nature. You know, when they break camp, you know, will it get worse? You know, so we'll see. You know, I'm very curious. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I think we need to be smart and not let money run our lives, but we'll see. We will see. So on to the 
NBA bubble back to that um, and what happened. Uh, you know, you can see, um, you know, Monday night into Tuesday, what, you know, LeBron and George Hill and a few other people had to say in their post-game interviews about, you know, the yet another, you know, police brutality incident that happened in Wisconsin. And, you know, it was really, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, Stradlebert the Campbell's back. You know, it was just they were just tired of having case by case by case happen and no retribution and and it's just allowed to continue to the point where they, you know, band us together and decided that they were potentially going to, you know, well, I go back. It started with the Bucks, you know, from what the media reported. It started with the Bucks. The Bucks decided on their own because it's their state that was affected by this particular tragedy. Uh, and thank God that Jacob Blake is alive and, you know, we won't, I'll get into later about the idea of him being handcuffed and all this type of stuff when he was paralyzed, but you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but you know, the Bucks decided on their own, you know, they were trying to force a forfeit from what I understand and what Chris Haynes had reported. And so they didn't let anybody know that they, they were planning to do this. They were just going to stand alone. And, um, you know, I guess it made me, it might've read some people the wrong way because they feel like they could have been unified in 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 the, in the aspect of protest, but they decided they didn't want to come out in for their game. Um, and they were, were going to sit in the locker room the entire time and they weren't going to come out and we're going to play. And then the magic got win. they were on the court shooting around and they got wind of it. So they went back to the locker room and started discussing it. So they decided to boycott that game. And then it was just became a domino effect after that point where everybody that was scheduled to play that day decided they weren't. And, um, you know, meetings were had the bucks talked to, you know, a lot of, uh, league officials and front office people. And they ended up talking even to the officials and, um, most of the DA and a few uh, legal officials in Wisconsin about this particular case. And, you know, they just took a stance about the fact that if you don't value or want to protect black lives, why should we entertain you? And I, and I'm, I'm absolutely positively for that. You know, you don't get to watch me, you know, entertain you on TV when you don't value me the moment I put that basketball down and walk outside and put on regular clothes. So I definitely get the sentiment and it was definitely a noble, you know, gesture by the NBA players. And, you know, it matriculated into meetings between the Clippers and the Lakers. And they decided that they were going to, um, you know, for, you know, for from a majority vote from both teams, they decided they were going to leave altogether, you know, and, you know, I guess from a social distancing standpoint, you kind of had to keep it small from, you know, meeting and having discussions, but, you know, they, you know, looking back on it, and this is what I do like and relish about having the, all the facts and all the information before I speak on things, you know, by doing weekly shows, you know, looking back on it, I think that, you know, they probably should have maybe just zoomed or had a large, you know, type of, you know, gathering about what, the, what they wanted to do uniformly, you know, I mean, I get that Chris Paul and, you know, LeBron and, you know, a few other faces, people are faces of the league per se, but you know, everybody's circumstance is different and you want to get everybody's honest opinion of what, what they wanted to do, you know, but you know, they took their time, you know, I definitely give them credit for that as well. They took their time and they definitely got together and came up with a, with a, with a great, good plan. And I appreciate the NBA and uh, for, you know, front office and league officials for backing them wholeheartedly in this, in this effort, you know, so they came up with the ideas of, you know, pushing harder for social injustice, um, advertisements and, um, you know, 
focusing on what's you know you know November in the election and having NBA evolve heavily in in voting and turning arenas into voting places and things of that nature. And they decided the biggest decision they just came to was they were going to continue to play because they felt like their voices would be heard better in a in a bubble with tons of media coverage than then spread out over the country, which is honestly and truly smart. I mean, even with going to the point of consulting Barack Obama, you know, in their effort and trying to figure out what their best coach action should be. And that's what you should do when you're not sure, you know, about what you should do when things of this nature are critical and you need to make a really conscious and good decision. You know, talk to the people that are older than you and talk to people that know more than you and talk to people that have been down there these type of roads and what you feel like you should do. You should consult your older folks. And that's that was a smart move on that part. And I give them, definitely give them credit for that as well. So, you know, so that's where we landed, um, you know, and we'll, uh, so that got us back to playing. I mean, it took off, you know, I think Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and uh, they came back and they played uh, Saturday. So they had three games on Saturday and uh, it was, um, you know, up to the minute, you know, we'll look at this uh, particular bracket, but, you know, it's, you know, it, it definitely was, uh, somber because you know it's you know the moment we get some resolution to this issue you know we get the word that Chadwick got you know and I'm pretty sure that most if not all NBA players were affected you know deeply by that tragedy you know that we lost them so so let's recap what the NBA playoffs uh are where we're at uh how um teams are faring and <laughs> how my bracket's looking I actually think I'm pretty in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, I'll read off what the actual standings are real quick, and then we'll show my bracket and see how I'm doing. Uh, starting with the East uh, today, um, Milwaukee closed out the uh, Magic four to one, so they'll play the Heat in the next round. And uh, Boston and Toronto both closed their series out in sweeps four to zero. Uh, I'd have it that dramatically different, but or it's one sided. But I definitely got the matchups I wanted on that particular side. So those two really good matchups. I'm looking forward to seeing that Boston Toronto series, especially, um, it's definitely going to be a good series. Um, and I will showcase how many games I think is going to go, but, uh, overall in the West, the Lakers tonight closed, uh, Saturday night closed, um, out the trailblazers four to one, uh, big performance by AD, big performance by AD. Brian had 34, he had another triple double. So it was definitely a good closeout game. Um, there was no Damian Lillard tonight. So, uh, clearly, um, you know, it was definitely a uphill battle for the Blazers, but they fought. They fought hard, and I give them credit. They definitely fought hard in every game. Uh, they didn't lay down. You know, they definitely uh, gave it their best efforts. So, shouts out to them. So the Lakers advance, and they're waiting for the winner of the Rockets uh, Thunder series, and that's 3-2. Rockets took that game today um, against the Thunder. They played this evening, Saturday night. In tomorrow's matchup, uh, we got a <laughs> battle of the young young Lils and young Titans, man. <laughs> Jamal Murray and Spider Mitchell, man. The Nuggets and the Jazz. Uh, the Jazz are up 3-2 in that series. Um, I didn't have it that uh, that side. That you know, that one that sided, you know, them be up 3-2. They were up 3-1 actually. But um Denver fought back in the last game and they, you know, they uh took the took that last game. So uh, they're gonna play what's it, game six? Game six on uh, Sunday afternoon. So that should be a good matchup. Um and the Clippers in the Magic, Clippers in the Magic, the Clippers in the Mavericks, they uh, they're playing uh, Sunday as well. That game, you know, it's lost a little fanfare for me. I mean, it was definitely, you know, after Luka hit that game in a shot, I definitely think it was going to be a really good series. But uh, 
you know, Porzingis is out. It looks like he has a meniscus tear and he's not going to play, um, at least in the series, if they do advance, which, you know, the, also they took, you know, in that last game, that game five, <laughs> uh, it's not looking too good for the Mavericks, to be honest with you. I mean, Luka can only do so much, you know, and, you know, he's he's hampered with an ankle issue. You know, hopefully this time off gave him some time to rest it and he's, you know, he'll better, but I'm concerned for him, to be honest with you, because he has to do so much, especially with Porzingis being out. I'm hoping that he doesn't happen, you know, like it happened for KD, you know, because KD had a bit of a leg issue and next, you know, he popped his Achilles and I'm not trying to see that happen for that man, you know, so hopefully, you know, that he can, you know, get some good treatment on it and then be able to play without any issue. And, you know, the whole issue with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> them stepping on the ankle, you know, it's a whole nother issue, but you know, that didn't make it no better, but hopefully the time off he had, you know, with the process, but he, he had a little bit of time to heal up. So we'll see how this, that particular series sticks out, and I'll show you guys my bracket and see how it stands for uh, right now. All right, so I got uh, the next round. Of course, I had the Bucks and the uh, Heat playing, and um, I think that series is going to go six games. I think the Bucks will beat them four to two, and I think this Toronto Raptors and uh, Boston Celtics series might go seven games. I think that Toronto's going to edge them out in four to three, but I think it's going to be a really good series. I'm looking forward to that. All right, and I do have the Rockets uh, beating the Thunder in uh, you know, next one or two games, and they'll uh, advance and play the Lakers in the second round. And I also think that the uh, Clippers will advance, as I alluded to. I think that um, with Porzingis being out as a big blow for them, and it's an uphill climb for the uh, Mavericks, so I think that they will end up succumbing to the Clippers and, and, and they'll advance to the next round. Uh, you know, it's tough to call this Jazz uh, Nuggets series. I did have the Nuggets advancing because I just thought they had uh, the you know the better team. But you know, the, the Jazz are playing really good ball, and it's it's want to go home for the Nuggets at this point. So what can what type of heroics can Jamal Murray put up so we can uh, have another game uh, in that series? You know, can they force a game seven or will it be you know the Jazz advancing? And uh, whoever that is, they play the you know I'm pulling for the Nuggets obviously for my bracket, but. You know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we have some two, at least one or two good more games and, you know, some good entertaining basketball for that. So, yeah, that's my bracket, you know, for the NBA playoffs. And so we'll see uh, how that goes. But, um, you know, I'm going to wrap up this who's in the new segment by, you know, giving the NFL credit as well um, because they follow suit with, you know, of course, they're not in season right now, but. You know, they're still in discussions about, you know, you know, potentially boycotting games and things of that nature. And, um. You know, they definitely boycotted a few scrimmages and, you know, you know, you know, canceled a few practices and decided to have meetings and discuss, you know, social issues amongst the teams and what they feel like they need to do and what they can do more of to help, um, you know, rally to this cause. Um, and I definitely appreciate the NBA and the NFL's front office for backing them and definitely getting behind them and supporting them in their efforts and their um, in their dialogue. So. Uh, so I definitely give kudos to the um, organizations as well as the players itself to be, you know, that voice that, you know, that um, using your platform for the good and betterment of all people. And that's just certain people. So that's going to wrap up who's in the news. Uh, we're going to get into for the record next. And um, I definitely got some hard hitting topics to talk about in that particular segment. So stay tuned for that. It's the Lockdown Davis podcast.
We are back for For the Record. This is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Um, my heart is heavy, man. Uh, I can't even, uh, f- you know, for lack of a better term, fake it. You know, it's it's definitely a lot of things on my heart and my mind. It has been for quite some time, and it just becomes more of a heavy weight and a heavy burden. And, uh, you know, these things that have come out here in the last week, week and a half, are just... <sighs> just they're just horrible things in certain regards um and you know people have things have had things to say you know in response to you know jacob blake's shooting and you know they've been good and they've also been bad you know you know and in this last past week it was something going on in politics as well that i'm not going to speak on right now i'm just i don't have uh energy or decide i i don't feel as if i need to give it energy enough to speak on it so you know i'm going to stick to my topics and we're going to get into first and foremost um roger goodell on uncomfortable conversations with a black man with emmanuel Acho. that was a two-part series uh i listened to both um intently and i really was curious to hear what roger had to say you know because you know i give emmanuel credit he does not you know placate or you know tote the line as far as asking questions he he definitely asks questions that will make a lot of people uncomfortable you know in his in his previous particular series um you know segments his segments in the series so you know i definitely give him credit for that and i was very curious about what he was going to ask uh commissioner goodell and what their what his responses were going to be and in large part you know it's, it's one of those things too i just i shake my head because i feel like you know you know, and I, and I hate to be a pessimist about it, you know, but history is, is, is proven to me that, you know, things, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So it seems as if to me, you know, Roger Goodell, along with a lot of other people are saying the right things for the moment, but what are going to, what are the lasting effects going to be? You know, did, did 2020 really give you a change of heart when it comes to these issues of social injustice and and uh, marginalization and discrimination and things of that nature that have affected and plagued black people and people of color in this country for years upon years and upon years. A lot longer than we've all been alive combined. It's affected black people and plagued people of color in this country. So why now, you know, why now? I'm, I have questions to be honest with you, why now? You know, and I, I give Commissioner Goodell, a, a, you know, a lot of credit for saying all the right things. You know, a person that, you know, is, you know, lightly informed. I'm not going to say ill-informed because, you know, you're lightly informed will probably believe, you know, everything he says and really feel that he was genuine in his in his, in his claim. But I, I wonder, to be honest, because, you know, and I, and I hearken back to Colin Kaepernick in his process and his you know, concerns. And I think he was very clear, very eloquent in his uh, description of why he was kneeling and why he was protesting the national anthem and things of that nature. It was very clear, you know, and I think that people of, of, of decent to high intelligence, you know, would definitely understand that from FA's value. And I think that people, you know, that wanted to understand, understood then it, it didn't take you know, more and more people getting killed from the time Colin Kaepernick started processing to now in order for this to change. And, and in the wake of George Floyd's murder, you know, that really is what 
set the you know processes uh ablaze and they really you know you know they really added gasoline to the fire you know to the point where people are you know constantly in the streets you know daily processing these issues now but you know from uh you know majority perspective you know speaking to the majority you know you know it's like i get I, I get frustrated because it's one of those things where i don't feel as if you were all of a sudden awakened by this particular issue i think you've always known i think you've always known you just didn't you felt like you weren't you weren't obligated to care you know because now the position that you're in your ceo and presidents and commissioners and you know the you know high heavy job titles and they have people under them that are largely people of color. Now they feel like they have to, they, now they feel obligated to listen and, and be a part and, and quote unquote have a change of heart. But like I said, he said all the right things. He said all the right things. He didn't, you know, he didn't uh, mince words and you know, he, you know, hearkened and referenced how his father was a good man and he walked with Credit Scott King in the march against the Vietnam War and this and the third and you know. So, I mean, I just don't want it to be lip service. You know, don't be lip service. So when we if we talk, you know, 365 days from now and, you know, it's the season ran up again. Will you have that same energy? You know, will you have that same energy and will you still be a voice for change? You know, because, you know, I understand Roger Goodell's dead, but to be has of the owners, he's the commissioner of the league, but he's there to be has of the owners. And, and honestly, and truly every owner does their own thing, you know, and they believe and they and they support their own ideologies, you know. But you know, are are you going to be pro player? You know, I mean, to be honest, let's be real. Take a page out of Adam Silver's book. Are you going to be pro player or are you going to be pro owner? You know, what's going to you know what are you, what are you really going to be about? Especially behind closed doors. Like you know, what are you really saying behind closed doors? Are you really telling me? that you really are awakened and your heart is filled with compassion and empathy, or you just saying that because of the uprising and the, you have to calm the masses, you know? So I hope Roger Goodell is sincere to be honest with you. I really do, you know, but I've, 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 um, I'm not optimistic to be honest because, you know, we've been here before, you know, and he referenced cap a little bit and he said he wish he had the conversations with him, but you had opportunities too. You know, I mean, when he was actually playing, I mean, you could have pulled him in into the league office at any point in time and had a discussion, you know, a real live discussion about what the issue is and why he was protesting, but you didn't. So, you know, why now? Why not a change of heart? So I got questions as, you know, it seems like my favorite thing about these type of issues now, but I got questions. So I just hope that much like everybody else that's come out in support of this movement, that they aren't just, you know, you know, blowing smoke, period. So we're gonna move on from that. Uh, I talked at length about Luca and uh, Montrez and, you know, and Mr. Morris's antics as well about, uh, you know, how they were uh, interacting with Luca on the court, you know, and, um, you know, I just, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I talked about it at length already, so I'm not gonna belabor the point, but I, like I said, I think that, you know, Mont Montrez was a definitely, you know, um, speaking truth in what he said because of how he feels about Luca. You know, you know. I mean, like I said, there's always even when you're telling a joke, there's some truth to it. A lot of people say, you know, 
So I think that, you know, at that moment in time that he was frustrated about whatever the issue of, of why he got heated with Luca and he uttered those words. And I'm not gonna repeat them. Um, but I think that he meant it, but you know, and I, like I said, I don't think he was sorry. I just think he was apologetic, you know, and he manned up in, in step to him and they had a conversation and I, I, I you know, man to man, I appreciated that part. I will give him credit for that. They had a man to man conversation and they squashed it and it was cool, you know, but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, you know, if you, if you're fighting for respect from others, you know, you can't, you can't stoop to that level, you know, in certain regards, but you know, I mean, I'm not going to say act like I'm above reproach, you know, it's, you know, I may not have, you know, verbalized some things, but you know, everybody thinks certain things about certain things when they're mad, you know, and you know, they may not verbalize them, but it's certain things you think about in your mind that you might be like, you know, if you had to set them like, Oh, that might've been bad, but you know, he did say them. So that was, you know, that was an error on his part, but you know, I'm just glad they resolved it. And you know, I'm, you know, Mr. Morris's antics about stepping on his ankle was a little, little Bush league as well, you know, but you know, I'm just glad Luca is not, you know, permanently hurt from any of that. So, so we're going to move on from there. We're going to talk about Earl Thomas next. Earl Thomas, you know, uh, perennial all pro pro bowl safety. You know, when it was now where wasn't playing for the Ravens, you know, had an issue in practice where he blew coverage. And, um, and I'm sure this wasn't the only incident because, you know, Things like this don't blow up off of one incident, especially a simple, you know, people blow coverage every day, B. You know, it's not one of those things where you, you know, I'm going to get mad at you and pissed off with you because you blew coverage one time. It happens, you know, and nobody's perfect. I'm sure there was a lot of issues with Earl and, you know, in practice as a whole. And that particular issue just, you know, that was the last straw. You know, and him and Chuck Clark got into it and got to altercation. They got to a physical altercation. And, um, you know, the Ravens sent him home, you know, they, so why would that, why they deliberated and decided what they were going to do with him? And they ultimately decided to release him. Now, you know, it's one of those things, you know, with, when it, when it comes to Earl that I, I, you know, in his, especially in his Seattle days, he was a really good player. He's probably one of the, the best and not the best free safety in the league. You know, it, it's one of those things though, where, you can't be bigger than the team in a certain regard. Now, I don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think they do give preferential tribute to certain people in certain regards, but you know, when you're being disrespectful, you know, f- with your, um, antics, you know, you know, circle back to Antonio Brown and the things that he was doing, you know, that you're being a, a complete and utter distraction, you know, because, you know, and managing an organization, a team, or you know, a sports team, whatever the case may be, is is rough. It it really is rough. I mean, and you have to be as fair as possible. You're never going to be completely fair. I mean, let's be real. You're never going to be completely fair in every aspect. You know, certain things you're gonna, you know, because of a personality thing. You know, you're gonna let certain things go, and certain things you're not going to let go for other people. I mean, the guy that's on the practice squad, you're not gonna tolerate him being late, but you may tolerate, you know, superstar being late one time. You know, I mean, that's that's fine. But don't make a pattern of it, though. Like, I mean, because it's been documented, you know, from several, you know, teammates and, you know, the two organizations he's played for up to this point, you know, that, you know, he's been late, you know, he's been, you know, doing, you know, diva-ish things in practice. And, and you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's 
one of those things which you never want your your antics and your behavior to eclipse your talent. You know, that's the you know, it's you know, it's one thing, like I said, you know, because if you're if you're making plays and you're dominating on the field, like you know, you know, teams are put up with a certain amount of, of BS, let's be real. But when that BS becomes too much and it becomes a distraction, a detriment to your team and your growth, when the Ravens are favored to go deep to the playoffs and maybe not, maybe to the Super Bowl, you just don't need those type of distractions to the point where you feel like you can be better off without that person. And that's what the Ravens ultimately did. So I hope this is a humbling experience for Earl. And I hope that he gets it and realizes that, you know, he, he can't be bigger than the team no matter what. And to be real, he's getting older. So, you know, the, you know, and everybody knows the mantra in the NFL, the older you get, the more expendable you become, the more expendable you become, as I'm saying. So you have to be, you know, you know, realistic, you know, when it comes to your money and your time and, and the type of commitment and the effort that you're going to give to a team that you're playing for, you know, so and who knows whether he'll get picked up or not. I mean, they were saying that the Cowboys were interested, you know, before this, but They've made a public statement that they weren't going to pursue him at this time when Lord knows they need help in the secondary. But, <laughs> but hey, man, I mean, you know, if, if David Rose, Jadavion Clown, and a few others can sit in free agency, haven't been picked up by a team yet, and they don't have it, these particular issues, at least we don't, it's not documented, then, you know, Earl gonna, might be sitting out for a little while. But we'll see. You know, we'll break the news if he does get signed, but we'll see. Yeah. So, um,. <laughs> I shake my head as I as I talk about this next topic. It's 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 a deep one for me. You know, on the surface, it's an issue. You know, but it's deeper for me because I it it, it makes me ask more questions about things. And I'm talking about Brian Erlacher. Brian Erlacher made one of the most asinine statements that he could make in <laughs> and at a time at a critical time and i believe this is on his instagram i'm pretty sure it's on his instagram store he made one of the most asinine comments or statements at a, at a very critical time and, and i guess it was in his frustration about the nba protesting their <laughs> their games right boycotting their games right he says, Brett Favre played the Monday Night Football game the day his dad died, threw four, in his, four touchdowns in the first half, and was a legend for playing in the face of adversity. NBA players boycotted the playoffs because a dude reaching for a knife, wanted on a felony sexual assault warrant, was shot by the police. Oof, wee wee. You know, there there's so much in this particular topic, right? I mean, just this, just in this brief statement, there's so much in it. Like it's so much, it's so much material in it, right? You know, and I I, I was present and I watched the entire game Red Breath played when his dad died. I you know I admired it, I applauded it, and I definitely it was definitely one for the ages. But. Those particular two instances that he references is, is, is that they have nothing to do with another thing. One has nothing to do with the other. Let me say it that way. One has nothing to do with the other. Um, what the NBA did and what and what they are doing, you know, has way bigger implications than a personal family member being lost. 
we're talking about entire race of people and them being marginalized and oppressed and being uh, disrespected and treated as, you know, three eighths of a person even now in 2020. And you have the audacity to say, sir, that a statement that was completely and totally incorrect and wrong and, and soiled, soiled in privilege and racism, let's be honest. And what disturbs me most about this situation and this aspect and this topic is that it's deeper for me because I respect it. I, I never thought, you know, you know, I have my, you know, my list. I mean, I'm a, I'm a linebacker, you know, true and true. I, I have my list of people from a linebacker perspective, inside, outside, you know, edge rush, you know, any type of type of archetype of linebacker. I have categories in the top five, 10 or whatever, or who I think is the greatest, right? You know, and Brian Urgelager isn't on the top of any of those lists, but I do, I did respect him from, for his play on the field. I think he was a really good linebacker for that Bears defense in those many years, right? You know, but what troubles me is this, you know, because I, it shocked me because I didn't think something like this would come out of Brian Arlacca's mouth, right? Because I really thought that you playing on a football team with, you know, in, in your whole life, entire life, it had to have been because of the, of the nature and the state of where football is in this country these days. You had to have played with predominantly black teams throughout your whole entire career. You know, and just looking at the Bears defense that you played on in those particular issues, we're not even gonna talk about your college years or your boys club or your high school years. We're not even talk about that. Which I'm pretty sure that, you know, in a large part, there were a lot of minority and black people on this team, right? But you, you utter these words and you, you know, and like, and as I alluded to, it's just, it's just mired in privilege and racism, right? Because you believe the false narrative that those racist white folks have been spewing about Jacob Blake this whole entire time and getting to the fact of, you know, you had a 17 year old kid run down the street that didn't belong in Wisconsin in the first place, lived in Illinois. He runs down the street and carries a, a firearm, AK, uh, it was AR-15, carries a firearm down the street, murders two people and wounds a third and gets to go home where Jacob Blake got shot seven times in his back and he was being handcuffed to his bed even though he was paralyzed. And you sit here and tell people that they shouldn't be protesting? Really? Really? It, it, it floored me because, I, like I said, I, I respected Brian Urlacher from a linebacker's perspective. I really did. You know, and, you know, and that, and what bothers me the most about this whole entire situation is this. You know, how many people that you revere as athletes really, 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 truly don't really value you as a fan? You know, and how many athletes that you, you know, highly regarded wear their jerseys and celebrated them on the field now or in the past, 
how many of them really don't care about your racial opp oppression? Like how, how many of them are there? You know, cause I took issue back, you know, back in the day with Bill Romanowski, right? When he spit in the face of, you know, the player on a Monday night game, right? And I'm like, that just, even as a young person that rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I'm like, that's, that level of disrespect was, I mean, it, it was, it was, it was horrific, man. It was, it was disgusting. And that level of disrespect to me, it really smelled like it was racially motivated. You know, you know, no, they didn't really get deep down into that particular aspect of why he did it, but it really reeked of that to me, you know, and fast forward into Brian Erlacher's, you know, comment, you know, you know, you just don't, you just don't want to think that people that you respect from a sports standpoint, you know, really have this, you know, privileged and, you know, racist mindset. But it's true, and calls and it calls into question about any you know. You know, I'm not even going to sit here and say, <laughs> not even sit here and say it's just it's just you know white people that have these issues, and because Herschel Walker decided that he wanted to get up on stage at the Republican National Convention and and advocate for the current the current president, I can't. <sighs> I can't, I can't, I can't with, you know, I, and I revered Herschel Walker too. You know, I, I really, I really was a fan, you know, and to discover this man never lifted weights and was able to perform at such a high level in a field, you know, it, it was amazing to me. You know, he was, you know, he was like, a, you know, he was like a modern day Hulk at that time. You know what I mean? He was, you know, he was jacked, he was ripped and he never lifted weights. But you're a staunch Republican? Really? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if they weren't trying to use you to pander to black people, would they really care about you? I think not. I think not. You know, and and I hate to say it, but I just feel like, you know, people like him and Ben Carson and other people are just brainwashed, man. Just brainwashed. Because you can't, you can't, I wouldn't ever feel comfortable thinking that these people care about me and they would give you know anything of value for me if it, if it mattered or if my life mattered if, if it if it was life or death so you know i just don't think they would they would they would they, i think feel like they would turn their back on me i would i really do and I, I couldn't sleep well like that knowing that these people don't really care for me like that but whatever he believes is what he believes but that's that's it that's it man you know uh brian erlacher Herschel Walker and, you know, all those others who, you know, feel like black people are, you know, less than. Oh man, just, uh, you know, I, you, you need a wake up call. That's all I'm gonna say, you need a wake up call. You know, and then, you know, and my final point about this, you know, we'll wrap the segment up is, you know, just the protest in general, you know, Let's let's focus on the issue, okay? Let's focus on the issue because what I'm noticing is that people are getting too caught up in the aspect of how people are doing things rather than why they're doing them. You know, they're they're doing them because they want change. Period. 
it doesn't matter how they do it, why they do it, or when they do it. They let's focus on the problem and the and the issue at hand. You know, instead of catfighting and, and nitpicking about you know, me saying a certain thing or saying it a certain way or doing it a certain time or, or being, you know, uh, carrying myself a certain way about how I feel about things, you know, because you never get anything done that way. You know, if you're going to nitpick and, and question and, and bring to light things that, that are frivolous and honesty, you know, we're never going to get anywhere. And that's real. We're never going to get anywhere. So can we focus on the issue? Let the NFL protest, let the NBA protest, let Major League Baseball protest, hockey, whoever, let them protest and protest in a manner that they feel like they can affect change. Nothing's gonna be perfect, but as long as you get to your ultimate goal, it shouldn't matter how I do it. And that's just it. This has been For The Record. Stay tuned for Chargers Corner. It's Lockdown Divas Podcast. back with the lockdown defense podcast i'm your host coach defense uh well let's get into charter's corner uh i have to say that uh charter's corner is probably gonna be a little bit short this week i'm sorry to my both fans uh but it's a lot bigger things going on in the world today and um you know the charges were immune to that fact and um they decided to speak up it just much as like every other nfl team that had uh an opinion on what the world is going through right now and um you know nba and nfl alike uh so you know from a camp perspective and you know we'll talk about hard knocks for a second i mean it was a pretty you know subtle hard knocks episode but um you know it didn't really showcase the you know a whole lot um outside of um you know what you know how we're progressing from a camp perspective um you know but uh i definitely uh you know was definitely shocked um, in a large part um, that uh, that they decided uh, to cancel the scrimmage that they had um, on Friday, which will be showcased on NFL Network, and um, decided to um, you know protest instead. You know, um, and I say that because it's not because it, it wasn't a situation where it didn't matter more, but um, you know, just knowing the energy that you know they they the mo the big time players have on. Uh, on uh, social media and in practice and things of that nature, the videos you see on Chargers, um, Twitter and Instagram, they were really looking forward to having a, you know, a live scrimmage and, you know, putting the pads on and, you know, going through, you know, you know, act live, real live action. And because they've been going through the motions for the most part, you know, in camp, you know, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it was very important that they stepped up and, you know, and I definitely commend the Chargers organization for having, uh, 
their collective backs and you know holding you know holding in solidarity with um, their protests and deciding not to uh, support Anthony's decision not to have the uh, scrimmage and, and decided to use their platform to talk about the social unrest that's been going on and um, there was some very good and positive messages that a lot of players gave. I mean, he spoke with Tyrod and a few other guys. Um, you know, you, you know Jerry Tillery's and you know they talked even talked to Badgley and Ty Long and those guys. And uh, it, was, it was very moving. It's very moving, and, I, and I'm understanding more and more how, you know, even you know, from no matter what background you come from, you know, everybody is understanding and feeling the pain that people are uh, experiencing, and it's not changing. And you know, until such things happen, you know, we're not going to do the things that you expect us to do. You know, I mean, you know, they, it's almost a situation where like you're looking at athletes like you're they're puppets. You know. You know, uh, we're paid to view and watch you, so you should do what we want you to do and and play and stick to sports when it's way bigger than that because the moment you take those pads off and you go into the street and you're not, you know, worldly known, you know, you could be uh, a subject or target to these issues and these, um, you know, incidents that happen with the police, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, they didn't share it in length, but I'm sure everybody's had that unpleasant experience of, you know, being pulled over and things of that nature. And and I'll be honest with you, you know, it's a different feeling being a black man in America being pulled over or just just the angst. The think about this, you know, if anybody that's a person of color in this country, think about the angst that you have just by seeing lights in your review. Think about that. Just seeing lights in your review. It may not be for you driving on a highway, driving in a residential area, things of that nature. You may not be doing anything wrong in your estimation, but just seeing those lights in your rear view give you a second or two of pause and how how this is going to turn out if you are pulled over you know may not it may be a fleeting moment but it bothers you and i think that that particular aspect was shared with um with the world when they decided to protest this uh this scrimmage and inside the talk instead of play but um overall i mean i think you know we're progressing well um, and from a team perspective but i mean you know, we did uh, go ahead and reschedule the scrimmage for Sunday, and uh, you know, I, you know, as if we have enough bad news going on around here, um, we suffered some more bad news that Derwin James went down yet again with uh, this time it was a knee injury. Um, it was determined that it was some type of meniscus damage, and it could be a full week to months injury, depending on how they want to address it and how they want to attack it. So I guess they had to decide with either the team or his personal orthopedist and decide what they want to do with it. Um, but that's a big blow. I mean, you know, we had we dealt with that in, in large from, you know, last season, and it was he was sorely missed. I mean, you know, our secondary, we already were missing Nasir Adley because he was down with an hamstring all year. Um, and, you know, and and having Adrian Phillips was helpful, you know, but, um, but just, it just wasn't the same. You know, he's definitely an impact player, and I think that – him being on the defense, you know, for the majority of the season is definitely going to be uh, going to hinder our success, in my opinion. So we'll see what they decide to do. I mean, I think his long-term health is more important than his short-term health. Um, you know, I do think we have uh, a good chance to go to the playoffs and make some noise. And it will, you know, it will largely depend on him. But, you know, but I think, uh, like I said, I think his overall health, because he's so young, is more important than having... 
uh, try to rush yourself back and try to force yourself into action when you know it you know we can hold we can hold down the fort without you so we'll see what happens i mean we'll see what happens with Derwin and other things we had a few other people go down with some tweaks and minor injuries you know and it's almost a broken record when it comes to our uh preseason in our uh training camp but hopefully that's it and we won't have any more issues but so we'll look out for Chargers uh, news next week. We're starting to get back to business as usual. We'll see what Hard Knocks has to deliver to us on this this week's episode, and we'll preview that. And um, we'll preview, um, we'll take a look at our first week matchup on uh, who I think the projected starters will be. I'll get into that next week as well. And I think who the projected starters will be and what the offense and defense is going to look like uh, game one or week one. So we'll get into that. And uh, so tune in next for the Lakers locker room. We'll get into that, and we'll see you on the next segment. Locked on Divas We are back with Lakers locker room. We're going to get into this real quick. Um, I think that I touched on a lot of what went on with the Lakers as a whole and went on with the league as a whole and uh, for the news and for the record. Who's in the news and for the record, I should say. Um, so, you know, we're not going to uh, beat a dead horse here either. Um, you know, I think the team segment was going to be short this week because, um, you know, there was a lot going on that was more important than a basketball game, you know, for that matter. And, um, you know, we'll start with um, week, we'll start with the beginning of the week. Um, of course, it was Kobe Bryant's birthday on Sunday and, and Mama Day on Monday, um, 8-24. And, uh, of course, we were set to play the Blazers in, um, in, uh, in I guess, the nightcap, I guess you can call it, for matchup um, for the NBA playoff schedule that, that day. And, um, you know, as I think I alluded to before, I just don't think that, you know, based upon the energy and the importance of the day and who Kobe meant to everybody in that locker room, I just don't think the Blazers had a chance. I mean, you know, you could have brought the 53 Battalion in there that day and it just wouldn't have mattered, man. I mean, they said it before. When I saw the 24-8 score on TV, I said, it's a wrap. I said, it's a wrap. And I think everybody that's a Lakers fan or a LeBron fan, for that matter, because some people are Lakers fans by way of LeBron these days. But I think that, you know, everybody pretty much knew that was just a wrap, man. It just wasn't nothing they can do about it. It was, I mean, it was very heartwarming to see, you know, and in in a week that's been very, very trying and traumatizing, <laughs> to be real. I mean, it's been traumatizing for a lot of people. Um, that was one of the bright spots of the week. I definitely appreciated that. You know, I think that, you know, honoring him in that day and that method and that performance in that fashion was great. It was awesome. I definitely applaud the Lakers for playing well and honoring him and giving him, you know, his flowers, you know, you know, post-mortem. So I think that was a great, great showing. I think the Lakers did, did us proud as fans and, you know, I appreciated that performance. Um, you know, and that's pretty much all we had to go on until, uh, I want to say Saturday, you know, of course we ended up closing out, uh, 
the Blazers, and there was no Damian Lillard. Unfortunately, he hurt his knee, and um, you know, I wish that man a speedy recovery. I do really, really like Damian's game, but you know, them not having their star player was going to be definitely you know a battle, uphill battle for them. And you know, they did fight. They did fight. They did fight. You know, in their last game, you know, they fought us hard to the fourth quarter. And I commend them that Kamala Anthony looked great. You know. And they'd be foolish to not bring him back or somebody snag him up and pay him some decent money for the production he's given out them this year overall. Um, so, you know, I think the Kamala was good. CJ was good, you know, and like I said, but just LeBron and AD were just better, man. You know, AD's performance was masterful. It was a masterpiece. It was great to watch. LeBron's triple-double. You know, it was, just, it was just a great scene. And like I said before, I'll say it again. When they have it going to that degree, they're going to be hard to beat. I just need them to keep that energy up for the duration of the playoffs. You know, so with that being said, I mean, we are, we have advanced to the next round and I think we'll face the Rockets. I really think they'll face the Rockets and the Rockets may close out the Thunder next game. I believe the game is Monday. And I think that'll be it for OKC and they'll go on and uh, to the off season for them. And I think they'll, the Rockets will come to play us next. And, um, and I think that it'll be an interesting matchup. I think that it's gonna be predicated upon us, our three point defense and us to be able to limit Harden. You know, I think that we'll be a we'll do a good job of keeping out the lane because, you know, of our size. But, you know, his, the perimeter, our perimeter defense is going to be key in this matchup. I think that's going to be a very interesting uh, dynamic that we have to make sure we handle early and often. And hopefully they don't, you know, shoot some magical number despite our stellar defense and keep them in ball games. you know, because it's Feast of Famine with the Rockets, always has been. You know, if they hop from three, you know, and James Harden is allowed to get in the lane and cause havoc and draw fouls, then they're they're problematic. You know, Russell Westbrook's still kind of working his way back in, but he's a slasher too. So, you know, when you got seven footers in the lane, you know, I mean, it's rough trying to get to the basket. So they'll be relegated to a lot of mid-range jumps and a lot of threes. And I think that we can limit their threes and, and the ability to make them, then we'll be fine. You know, because let's be real. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to play a lot of small ball because they're a small team. And, you know, how they're going to deal with – I mean, let's let's just be honest here. They don't have any answer for LeBron or AD. They don't. That's just facts. So as long as they assert themselves and do what they're supposed to do offensively and we limit their three-pointers, we'll be fine, I think. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, it from a sports perspective. And, of course, like I said, you know, just to recap the whole protesting and boycotting uh, incident, you know, it was, you know, a lot of back and forth with the idea of, you know, us not playing at all. LeBron was, you know, adamant at one point he didn't want to play at all, and they Clippers shared the same sentiment based upon what they reported. Um, you know, but like I said, like I said before, Cooley has prevailed, and they decided to that their platform was better served in the bubble and continue to play on, outside of uh, you know leaving and and going different places and being scattered and being divided, you know, from a, a basketball perspective and their voices being mired or limited, you know, and being heard from a process perspective. So. It was good. It was good. Good. Good on their part. I mean, like I said, the division was, you know, um, you know, wasn't wasn't something they was gonna, you know, ultimately benefit from more so than being in a bubble. I think, you know, so hopefully, especially with the agreement they made with the NBA as far as them committing to more and more social injustice awareness and voting, I think that was a great, you know, deal that they they struck, and I think um it. It's moving the needle. I mean, the move needle but still maybe moving slow. I mean, because we're talking from, you know, 400 years of the same old, same old, you know. We're just moving the needle slowly but surely toward us like, but at least it's moving. 
So, you know, I appreciate the Lakers, you know, for spearheading this along with the, you know, CP3 and, you know, all those guys and in, 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 in the Players Association to getting these things done and bringing more and more awareness to this. And hopefully it'll affect some change. But outside of that, man, like I said, I'm looking forward to the next series, you know, how, how we fare against the Rockets. I think who we'll be end up facing and, you know, we'll see what next series comes about. And, um, you know, the Clippers have advanced uh, and they finally closed out the Mavericks and um, they're going to play uh, the winner of uh, the <laughs> game seven winner between the Nuggets and the uh, <laughs> Jazz. So Jamal Murray was awesome today. I just want to make them known. But yeah, so that's pretty much it for the Lakers locker room this week, man. Like I said, we'll uh, preview the Rockets. Uh, get, well, we'll recap the Rockets games next week that we've played, and uh, we'll see how we're looking and, and going forward from here. But uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned for NFL previews. We're going to do NFL previews next. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. back we're back uh let's talk nfl previews so uh, we're going to preview the nfc west and the nfc north uh divisions this week and uh we're gonna get right into it hot and heavy um let's check out what these uh standings were from last season who their breakout players are going to be this year and who they lost and who they gained and how they're going to fare this year coming so uh first up we're going to do the nfc west uh so let's show it up real quick Of course, the NFC West is comprised of the Niners, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Rams. The Niners took the division last year, and they took it all the way to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they succumbed to the uh, Chiefs in a dramatic fashion, uh, but they definitely made it all the way to the Super Bowl, and they returned a lot of players, and they did pretty well in the draft. So uh, we'll see how they fare in this upcoming season. But um, first and foremost, we'll start with the Niners. Uh, they were 13-3 last year. Um they had some key additions, uh, some key losses, and uh, I think their breakout player should be an interesting one. I'll just I'll depict in a few seconds. But overall, uh, I'll start with the losses. Uh, they lost or traded DeForest Buckner. I think Joe Staley retired, and they traded away Marcus Goodwin uh, to the Eagles, who ended up opting out for COVID. So they don't, uh, <laughs> I guess they won that trade, you know, because, uh, you know, he's not playing for them, and they got, you know, their compensation from the Eagles, of course. And, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, Joe Staley retiring was a big loss. You know, he's been a stable for them and tackle for many years, um, even back way back to their Super Bowl runs of the um, early 2010s um, when Colin Kaepernick was there. But uh, they uh, <laughs> they turned the tide on us a little bit, and they replaced them with uh, equally good, if not better, uh, tackle in Trent Williams. Uh, they traded with the Redskins uh, to get him over there to San Francisco, and hopefully they'll uh, – Give him a long-term deal. They also added Jordan Reed. I guess they're in love with Redskins, uh, you know, in that organization. Uh, Jordan Reed uh, will play a secondary tight end role to uh, George Kittle, and uh, he will be in the offense as well. Um, I think it might serve Jordan Reed pretty well, Jordan Reed pretty well, for him to be in that system because I think he'll uh, flourish from not being the primary target of tight end. If he's a secondary target, I think he can flourish because he can definitely get open, definitely can run routes, you know, really well from a tight end perspective, but... You know, his health is always a concern, and I think over-utilizing him causes him to get injured a lot. 
So if he gets uh, those secondary targets from the tight end position and give Jimmy Garoppolo a second option in the middle of the field, I think he'll, they'll serve them well. Uh, overall, though, I think that um, this season is going to hinge on Jimmy Garoppolo's performance. I think that it really rides on him. They sink or swim with him. I think their running game is stout. I think uh, even with the loss of Breida, uh, I think they still have, you know, really capable running backs and running backs by committee. Um, the defense is very stout, and I think they only will get better with another year under their belt with the young guys they have, Bosa and company. Um, Sherman with this, you know, veteran relationship, and you know those linebackers, you know, in the middle, um, you know, which really surprised a lot of people because you know outside of Quan, they were you know really, um, you know, no names in in some regards. Um, you know, we dating back to the Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman days, you really hadn't had a good staple of linebacking core like this since then. So I'm really excited to see what they can do um, from a linebacking perspective. But, um, you know, I'm really impressed with their defense. You know, the offense is, you know, going to really hinge on, you know, putting the points up and hoping the defense will keep shutting people down like they normally do. Um, based on their schedule, I really think they'll improve by a one win and go 14-2. Um, it would be interesting to see who they lose to, though. I'll, I'll show you that in a minute. But, um, but, yeah, I think that overall, I think they will definitely – get things done for, at least from a defense perspective and i've definitely had shared the sentiment quite often that when uh this season starts i think the defense will be you know miles ahead of the offense because of the you know truncated schedule they've had going on because of COVID. um you know we've had a rash of injuries here in the last uh, couple of days too so we'll see how this projection changes based upon those injuries um, you know, not necessarily to the four nines, but overall, and, you know, as people start to have, you know, more contact drills and stuff like that, you know, people are starting to take on injuries. So, um, but we'll see, I mean, you know, my, my, you know, microscope, you know, look at this and face value before they started heavy contact was they would definitely improve by a one and be 14 and two from a 13 and three season last year. So we'll see how it shakes out. All right. Next up with the Seahawks Seahawks finished 11 and five last year. Uh, they were, uh, uh, fighting, you know, from a perspective of the division title, you know, fighting back and forth with the Niners, going back and forth with them. I think they split with them last year, um, wins wise, but um, they made some interesting moves in all season. You know, they moved on from Clowney. Um, they didn't resign him. He's still flapping in the wind. I don't know who's going to resign him or if he's going to get signed before the season starts, but you know, the clock is ticking. I mean, probably like a week and a half, you know, or less, you know, between now and the start of the season, and he still hadn't gotten signed. So, you know, maybe if an injury happens, people will bend when it comes to spending that money. Because I think he's, the amount of money he wants is probably the hiccup. You know, I think that's really what the deal is. But they moved on from him. Uh, they made a, a hell of a trade, you know, uh, a few weeks ago. And they acquired the rights to Jamal Adams from the Jets. Uh, they tried and traded Bragman McDougal in a few picks um, for the rights for Jamal Adams. And I have to say, that, <laughs> that trade on top of what they had in place already from a defense perspective, I think it really, really upgraded their defense. And I think that their offense, because they, you know, for some reason, you know, um, Seahawks, you know, tend to don't make a whole lot of, you know, lift and shift when it comes to uh, transactions year to year. So they've, they've gotten their key players in, in camp and they've, um, you know, had them for over a year and a half, you know, especially in the offense perspective. I mean, you got DK, you got TJ and all those guys. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think offenses that don't have a lot of change in them and they've been gelling, you know, in the past will have success early. And with that defense being uh, stout in the front and middle and the back end, you know, I think that they're going to make a lot of noise, especially early on. 
You know, I mean, it all really it really just depends on how healthy you remain. But with Jamal Adams on that defense, man, I mean, I, you haven't seen anything like this since Cam Chancellor, and I really think he's a shorter but rangier and uh, faster Cam Chancellor. So we definitely want to see between him and Bobby Wagner how much uh, havoc they're wreaking that secondary. But um, like I said, they started 11-5 last year. They finished off 11-5, and I project them, based upon their schedule, to go 15-1. and And I have them beating the 49ers at least – one or two of those times, we'll see. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but I got them going 15-1, and I think that, you know, it's going to be a top-heavy division, and I think the other two teams are going to uh, suffer from their success based upon their very, very stout defense on both sides, 49ers and Seahawks, and I think that their offense was very steady, and they didn't have a lot of turnover, and I think because of the lack of OTAs, things of that nature, and, you know, your ability to not work on your offense as much as you normally would, it's gonna it's gonna make people that have a lot of turnover struggle or don't have a lot of, you know, onboard weapons. And I think those two teams at the top heavy in that division will have the weapons that's gonna make some noise. All right, so moving on, move on to the Cardinals. The Cardinals, uh, yeah, I mean, they made some splashes too. I mean, in the back at the end of the season last year, they made a trade for Kenyon Drake, um, and in the off season they got DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, in a what everybody calls a steal from the Texans. I mean, you know, we're not sure you know, what they were thinking, or, you know, people just didn't make a call thinking that Hopkins was going to need a King's ransom to move him, but the Texans didn't feel that way. So they moved on from him um, and traded him to the Cardinals. So Larry Fitzgerald came back for another season after that. And they got Christian Kirk still, and then Kyler Murray's in his year two. Now what concerns me about this team is that Kyler Murray is a year two quarterback. And I think it really sucks, you know, um, for quarterbacks that drafted last year, going into this year because of the pandemic. Because that sophomore season is always tough, regardless for for most NFL quarterbacks, right? You know the production. If they did have any success starting in the first year, they typically have a mundane slash decline. You know, um, from a production standpoint, in their sophomore year, and then the ones that become elite turn it on typically in that year three. You know, with your exception of maybe your Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, but you know those are anomalies, and maybe we may be talking about generational players to hit down the line as long as they stay healthy and play, you know, a while, but you know, the percentages say that most quarterbacks in the sophomore year have an issue and that's with OCAs and with mini camps and being a whole year in your system, you know, in off season. And they haven't had that. And I think Kyler Murray, even though he has a lot of these weapons are going to be, if they were smart, I mean, I, I don't think that Clingsbury honestly isn't really heavy runner with his air raid system, but I think that he would benefit from leaning on Kenyon Drake because they traded for him and uh, they tagged him, so he's going to be there for at least another year. I would definitely utilize him a lot um, and, you know, do some timely passing and get the ball out to your, you know, your big-time receivers on the outside. But their schedule is tough. They have a tough schedule, and I think that, you know, them having turnover and them Kyler Murray's production may hinge upon, you know, how well, you know, he called plays, you know, from Clingsbury perspective. I think that they're going to have a rough time. I mean, they were 5, 10, and 1 last year, and I think they'll improve on it. But it won't, we won't make it above 500, they'll finish 7 in the 9. Again, and I say the breakout player in this situation is Kenyon Drake because I think they need to lean on him a lot to take the pressure off Kyler Murray because of his sophomore season. He hasn't had the OTAs and the ability to gel with his new receiver, you know, primarily. You know, so, you know, he has one, he has a, you know, perennial pro receiver he needs to gel with. And all he had was, you know, two, three weeks of camp to do it before they started the season. So, Early on, Kingsbury, if I were you, I would definitely run the ball early on often and move the ball, um, you know, methodically. And hopefully your defense can hold up on the back end and they will, um, you know, not give up points and you can, you know, stay, stay in ball games. 
early and um so you start to get uh calamari's uh feet under him he can gel with his receiving core all right so moving on to the rams the rams finished nine and seven last year um they'd had some serious turnover as well uh, i think that um they had uh they lost Todd Gurley, let him go free agency and they traded away brandon cooks and then brandon cooks is uh is you know i guess the tr- the cheap slut of trades because he <laughs> He seems to get traded after a couple of seasons from everybody. Patriots trade him to the Rams, and the Rams trade him away. So, and it seems he still goes with the same particular price tag, though. So, I'm not sure how that, what that means, in all honesty. But, yeah, he's gone. So, he traded him away. Let's talk earlier where he's now in Atlanta. So, they did get Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd walked away from the Bears in free agency, and he um, he's now with the uh, Rams. I guess he's going to fill in for that uh, Dante Hot Fowler, Dante Fowler role. That he was he was utilizing when he was there with the Jags, but overall, I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot that's sexy about the Rams this year. You know, I mean that offense is is a, in in its third full year, I think you can say. You know, um, from Sean McVay's perspective, and I think that you know a lot of defense coordinators have figured out a lot of what he they like to do, and I think it's going to be a struggle for them because I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of perennial players on defense that's going to be able to get you stops early and you know it really just hands on what Jared Goff can and can't do but I mean who's he throwing to you know his top receiver's gone you know he still got Cooper Cup you know but you know Gerald Everett and tight end and you know but yeah I don't know I mean I'm, you know who's running the ball you know I mean I mean it's unpro- whoever the back is going to be it's the starter going to be or they're going to do run back by committee they, it's going to be a work in progress I mean it's you know they're unproven so We'll see. I mean, like I said, they finished above 500 last year at 9-7, but I think they're going to struggle this year with the schedule they have based upon their personnel. And they're going to finish 5-11. So, yeah, that'll wrap up the NFC West. Uh, we're going to move on to the NFC North in a minute. So, we're going to pull this up for you. That's... All right. So, of course, the NFC North is comprised of the Packers, the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions. The Packers had a really good season last year. They finished uh, at the top of the division. And uh, we'll see how they fare along with the rest of the clan in the uh, NFC North. Uh, how are they going to fare this season? So, first up, we're going to start with the uh, defending uh, division champs, the Packers. Um, this will be the second full year under their new coach, LaFleur. Um, they made an interesting p- uh, pick in a draft. Um, I'm going to underscore that. First, I think that that's worth noting, you know, and I'm not sure this is an organizational thing that they're doing, um, you know, how they did Brett Favre with Aaron Rodgers and now they do it in Aaron Rodgers with uh, Jordan Love. Now, to be honest with you, I don't think from what I've seen from my view, my preview that Jordan Love is, he isn't any Aaron Rodgers, you know, I mean, he didn't, he didn't have the type of talent that Aaron Rodgers had coming out of Cal when he got drafted. However, they still spent a first round draft pick on a quarterback. You know, I mean, you know, Rodgers is aging, you know, and I think that, you know, some of the woes in Green Bay aren't really his fault, you know, in large part. You know, I think he does a lot with, you know, with nothing or a little to no weapons, you know, in a lot of regards. And I think that he gets a bad rap a little bit. But, you know, his production, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of it because I'm, I've always been an Aaron Rodgers fan. You know, I'm guilty of drafting him, you know, several different fantasy drafts over the years. And the last couple of years, he's let me down. You know, he's de- his production has definitely declined. You know, and I think, like I said, it's, again, it's not all his fault because, I mean, you gave him a, you know, he gave him an old Jimmy, older Jimmy Graham to throw to, you know, um, you know, from moving on from Jerry Cook, you know, gave him that. Um, 
you know, his running game was was better. I mean, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and the company were doing better um, production-wise from running the ball. But, you know, as far as receivers, you know, they just – outside of Devontae Adams, who, I mean, who was who were we talking about here? You know, um, St. Brown or, you know, anybody like that. I mean, he just – you know, they just haven't got the job done. You know, they just – he don't have a, a solid secondary option to keep, take the hit off Devontae. Now, Devontae's excellent. Like, you know, he definitely does way more than he should from a production standpoint because, you know, he gets, he draws a lot of double teams and a lot of, uh, you know, shaded coverage over to his side, but bracket coverage. But they need another threat, you know, and I don't think they've done it. I mean, I, I haven't been a believer in this person since he got drafted, and he hasn't really shown much, you know, because they added Devin Funches this year. Um, but, you know, they drafted a tight end, you know, in later rounds, but, I mean, he's no Jimmy Graham, you know, right off, so who's to say about that? Uh, so, I don't – I mean, I really don't – I'm really concerned about how Aaron Rodgers is going to feel about having Jordan Love breathing on his back and how he's feeling about them still yet to address, you know, a dominant out secondary weapon for him. You know, but again, I mean, you know, if you look at it from a production standpoint, it went 13 and three last year. You know, I mean, you can't knock that, but they did get embarrassed in, you know, playing the 49ers in the playoffs. So, you know, and then, you know, they really exposed the ideology of what they are lacking, you know, because if they had a secondary weapon in that game, I think it would have been different. But, you know, if if and buts was candy and nuts, we'll all have a Merry Christmas. So, it's what all, I say all that to say, you know, they, their losses were Jimmy Graham, like I said, an older Jimmy Graham, and they lost Brian Balaga in free agency as well, and they also lost their office line coach, which ended up with uh, Chargers and probably was a catalyst and reason why Brian Balaga is in uh, L.A. right now. But from a, a addition standpoint, they did get a, a really good linebacker in Kristen Kersey, um from the Browns. He's, he's over there now. Um they did sure up their um, loss from uh, Balaga and got Rick Wagner from the Lions. Uh, Rick Wagner, I think he walked in for agency. So he moved over. I guess he's going to take Brian Balaga's spot. And so they, you know, they pretty much, and they got a couple young guys in the middle. They still got Corey Lindsey at center. So they got, their line is still good. I mean, they really didn't lose a whole lot from the O-line perspective. But yet, you still don't have a secondary weapon. I mean, I just don't think Devin Funches is the guy. I mean, he's, he's tall, and that's about it. He's not fast. I mean, he's a big target. Don't get me wrong. He's a big target, but I think you just need somebody with more burst and, you know, more explosiveness to go along with Devontae Adams. I mean, you know, he's like, I want to say Devin Funches is a poor man's, uh, you know, Devontae Adams from a standpoint of, you know, being a taller receiver, but Devontae, you know, friends routes way better than, you know, Devin will ever do. And who's to say? I mean, I just don't think that's the move. I mean, but, you know, unless they have something hidden, you know, some hidden gem or anybody in, in the receiving core that's, you know, that's, that's been there for a couple of years. They got these tall, you know, fast, you know, 6'4", 6'3", 6'4", receivers, but they never amount to anything, you know. So I say all that to say, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Packers fare. I think based upon their schedule and their, you know, everybody knows the situation when it comes to um, – their offense. I think that they're going to have a struggling season from, you know, I guess you, I would wouldn't call it struggling, but I would call it a fall off season from last year. And they'll still finish above 500, but they'll finish 9 to 7 based upon their schedule. And like I said, it's all predicated upon the fact that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is, you know, starting to not be able to, you know, be the magician that he's been in the past because he just flat out doesn't have anybody else to throw to outside of Devontae Adams. 
so we'll see we'll see i mean you know i'm i'm definitely feeling like this is a strong take on my part and i think it's going to hold true but we'll see you know i think their schedule is you know they're playing the first place schedule so you know they're going to play all the division winners you know on top of their afc opponents so i think it's going to be tough i mean i, I don't knock their defense their defense is definitely pretty good and i think christian Kirsty in the middle shows it up even better you know they signed you know their d lineman for um the long-term deal was mike daniels i believe it was uh so yeah so i mean they sure up they got they got a good you know, good two good outside rushers and Preston Smith and and Zadari Smith, and you know they got Mike Downs in the middle and they had Kirksey hang you know anchor in the middle and their secondary is good. I mean, young but good Jair and Savage and you know those guys, you know Amos. So I mean they they got a good they got a good defense you know, but I just that offense is scary it scares me man it scares me so. I would say that, you know, it hinges on whoever the breakout player is going to be. Anybody in the receiving core, mine is Demontae Adams. That's what I think. If anybody else can make make waves and make plays, then they'll be better off. And they'll probably finish higher than 9-7. But they don't, 9-7. All right, so moving on to the Bears. The Bears uh, were 500 last year. They, are, they were 8-8. Eight and eight, And um, they had a lot of turnover. And, you know, we all know by now about what I've been saying about turnovers. You know, having a lot of roster turnovers. So... Some of their losses, they lost Prince of they lost Leonard Floyd, and Eddie Goldman opted out for COVID. So they lost a good edge rusher in Leonard Floyd, young edge rusher. They lost their their dominant DT. They lost their uh, one of their starting corners. So, yeah, uh, definitely some turnover there on defense. Um, I will say from an addition standpoint, you know, we're going to get to the, the glaring one in a minute, but uh, Robert Quinn, I guess him coming over from Dallas, I want to say, um, he's going to fill Leonard Floyd's role in a sense, um, from that edge perspective, but, um, they had also added an aging Jimmy Graham. So we'll see how that goes. Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking he's, he just there to mentor Cole Komet because they drafted Cole Komet and, and, um, early on, um, you know, one of the best tight ends in the draft if not the best. And, you know, so I would like to believe, you know, especially since they moved on from one or two there of their, uh, tight ends that they had in camp previously, you know. So I think Cole Komet should be the guy. He should be the number one guy. But you know, I mean, Jimmy Graham is the veteran. So who's to say what you know Matt Nagy is going to do when it comes to uh, you know who's going to start? You know, especially when you if you're not running ace personnel. But but uh, that leads me to the you know the most glaring offseason move that they made in trading for Nick Foles. You know, they had their incumbent in Mitchell Trubisky, who has been down and mediocre <laughs> you know just to say the least i mean i i will give him a slight pass when, when he got hurt you know but outside of that he really hasn't been that great you know from a production standpoint so they made it seem as if they were gonna get uh nick Foles just to compete with him to help him and get better but nick Foles is in the prime of his career whether that's good or bad i'm not sure how you categorize that but i mean he's you know for good or worse he's he's out here to be a starter. I mean, he took the, you know, Eagles to the Super Bowl, won it, and went to the Jags, you know, you know, got hurt and replaced by Garner Minshew. But he's making starter money. So, I mean, do you feel the pressure to start him? I mean, if you had to choose, you know, gun to your head had to choose him, I would choose Nick Foles over Mitchell Dubisky. So, who's to say who's going to be the starter? And Nagy's been mum about who's the starter. So, that leads me to their record. <laughs> I mean, 500 last year. With a bunch of woes, the defense was stout last year, but they've had some shifts in in their defense. I mean, like I said, Eddie Goldman's a big is a big loss for me. I think that's a big loss for me. Leonard Floyd saying, especially if you swapping with older Robert Quinn, yeah, 
you may be able to live with that. You know, of course, you have Cleo Mack, you know, still, and Roquan, Avery Sunday, and Trevathan, so they got the linebackers back, and, you know, most of the secondary is still there. Um, but, you know, what? who's going to be starting? You know, you know, David Montgomery's battling an issue, you know, a, a you know, growing issue of injury, and who's going to be the starting running back? You know, you can't rely on Tariq Cohen, Mr. 180 pounds on a good day, you know, so who's to say what they're going to do? And we don't know who the starter is. And I think that, you know, they're going to put a lot of pressure on their defense to constantly be able to get people off the field and put them in a position to score. But I still don't think it's going to be enough, you know, whether it's Foles or it's Trubisky. And I think they're going to finish 3-13. That's what I think, based on their schedule. So we'll see how it shakes out. But I think that they're going to have a rough year. Just my, 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 uh, my personal opinion. All right, so moving on to the Vikings. The Vikings finished 10-6 last year. Under Kirk Cousins, Mr. Uh, guaranteed Money. Um, they traded Stephon Diggs in the offseason. I'm not sure if that was a I went out of you know Minnesota move or they just wanted to move on from him and do go in a different direction. I mean, I really think their receiving court wasn't an issue. I mean, between Stephon and and at Thielen, I think they were, you know, and you had, you know, your incumbent tight end and you had Irving Smith, who was the new kid on the block was a very talented tight end that was drafted last year so i didn't think that was an issue but they decided to move on from trading stuff onto the bills for some good conversation they got good conversation for them but they um i'm curious because they just i feel like they just traded one for the other and i guess maybe it was just one of those situations they just want didn't want to pay stefan you know and they just went with a young option because they added justin jefferson in the draft was one of the you know better receivers in the draft class it was a heavy load of draft class so that was their main key addition to me. I mean, it really didn't help make a whole lot of ways in, in the free agency. But um, like I said, they lost Stefan. Uh, Linval walked in free agency. Um, I want to say they got, didn't they get Michael Pierce, but he opted off of COVID? I think that's the issue. So they was going to you replace Linval with Michael Pierce, but Michael Pierce opted off of COVID, so they don't have that either. So they are missing a big hog in the middle of that, middle of that uh, D-line. And they also let Xavier Rhodes walk, and he's still flapping in the wind, and he hadn't been picked up either. So he's still out there you know, trying to be uh, a free agent and, you know, play, hopefully play with somebody some at some point this year, but we'll see. You know, it's really weird that, you know, proven players are really just sitting, up, sitting on the sideline waiting for a call. You know, Cam set for a long time, you know, Javion's still sitting, Xavier's still sitting, a few others. You know, I'm wondering what's the situation, you know, just they just asking for too much money or people just, you know, waiting to get them super cheap, you know, when they're desperate. I don't know. But regardless, you know, they definitely got some challenges you know from a different perspective in my opinion and offense you know still got dalvin and still got kurt you know i think uh, earth smith should you know ascend in my opinion you know for in his second year and you know i won't say he unseat you know the starter but i think they you know he will um you know definitely should um deep deep dive into his touches i think he should deep dive into his touches but um you know we'll see you know i think that um you know, it should be interesting about what Irv does. I think if they utilize him more, because he's very athletic. He's a very athletic tight end. So, I mean, I think that he, if he, uh, if they utilize him, you know, in the passing game more, I think they'll be better off. But, um, you know, because the starter is not getting any younger. You know, I think that, um, you know, it's one of those, uh, one of those things where, you know, I think you should go start going with a young guy. And uh, hopefully, you know, within, you know, mid-season, he'll, you know, he'll be, He'll show you why you drafted him when you drafted him. I think that's the issue. But we'll see. I mean, I think that um they're gonna have a down year, you know, from last year. You know, I mean I think that's 
you know, partly due to COVID, partly due to just um, the staleness of their roster, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, but um, yeah, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it happens. I think, um, like I said, I think Cal Real is getting along too, so utilize Irving Smith, and that's who your breakout player for your team should be, that, you know, work Justin Jefferson in and then let Irving Smith work, and then, you know, you just, you know, let Cal Rudolph mentor him in, you know, that'd be that. But I think they'll finish 8-8. Eight eight. Based on their record, I think they finished eight and eight in the division. So you know, in this conference, so we'll see. All right, moving on to the Lions. The Lions are the probably the most interesting team on this particular preview. I think it's, it, it, I don't know. You know, the Lions along with the Browns always puzzle me, right? You know, because you know they have a lot to offer at least in the last three or four years. They have a lot to offer, right? But, you know, that going back to last year, they were they had a lot of offer. You know, I mean, you know, I think well, Stafford got hurt, I think, you know, partway through. So I think that that was a little bit of an issue. But, um, but they had pieces on defense. They had great pieces on offense. I think they just squandered it. And, you know, and, and, and the Lions puzzled me because, and, and, and this is probably, you know, you know, I guess you could say shocking or ironic to say for me because I'm a defensive guy. But you know, I think that NFL coaches do they suffer the service when you when the front office hires a defensive coach as their head coach. I think that that defensive coach should immediately hire offensive coordinator that's very talented because I feel like that's when you're a defensive minded person and I'm a defensive minded person. Like your your mind and your focus is on defense and defensive schemes. Like you, you know, it's it's one of those things where offense and running offense and good offense is complex to you. Like you need a really good offensive coordinator. I think they're lacking that. And I think that's their problem about, about moving the ball, you know? So I think that they're going to have issues again this year. And I mean, I really don't believe in Stafford at this point. I mean, I think the ship has sailed on him. And I think that they are really going to have some issues from a defensive perspective because they really didn't, do anything from a offensive perspective outside of drafting their running back finally. But but I think he's injured at the moment. So, you know, well, we'll see about that. But, uh, you know, I mean, they, I mean, they did, you know, and this one puzzles me. They made some really good changes. I mean, they, they definitely uh, shocked me by moving on from Darius. Like, I think he was, you know, at odds with the front office maybe. And he was saying that he wanted to, Either he wanted out or wanted a new deal, one of those two, and then they tried to tra- decided to trade him to the Eagles, you know, and they got, you know, decent compensation for him. Um, and they had a high draft pick because they finished 312 and one last year. So um, they let him go and they drafted Jeff Okuda, who was the best cornerback in the draft, um, to replace him. Um, and they also got Desmond Trufant in free agency. So they didn't skip a beat from a secondary perspective. And they, they added Duran Harmon and Jamie Collins, who were. I ain't gonna say you know Patriots send offs, but they were in free agency and the Patriots didn't resign them, and they ended up over in in Detroit with Patricia. So you know is you know I mean you know it's another thing too about how Patriot coaches, assistant coaches leave New England and don't ever have success for real. I mean you know the OC you know had a little bit of success in Denver, but you know it wasn't it was short lived. You know and he got he got sent he got sent back quite quickly. And I think Patricia's on his way too if he doesn't get it together. But based upon my prediction, I don't think it's going to happen this year. But I mean, I like their defense. You know, outside of losing Snacks Harrison, you know, so their interior line is questionable again. Um, but you know, their secondary is great. You know, I think the linebacker core is good. You know, the D line is kind of questionable. But 
you know, from a secondary perspective, they're good. But again, you know, same weapons. You know, I think C.J. Hawkinson should have a uptick year. You know, he's definitely a talented uh, wide, you know, not wide receiver, but tight end. And I think he should he should be a focal point in your offense. But you have the same receivers. You know, you got Jesse James, who really hadn't done that since he came over from the Steelers. And you still got Matt Stafford. So based on the schedule, I think they're going to finish 1-15. They're not going to be picking the first in the draft, probably. And we might be seeing Matt Patricia back in New England with Bill Belichick. But we'll see. You know, but that's my prediction for right now. But uh, we'll see what the Lions do. But like I said, I'm conflicted a little bit because their defense looks good on paper. You know, and I think from having a stout defense this year is going to be paramount for everybody that wants to make any uh, noise. But their offense is just stale, you know, unless they can figure out a way to run the ball with their running backs now. But man, that's if their running back comes back healthy. But we'll see. But that'll wrap it up, man. Uh, that's the preview for uh, the uh, NFC North and the NFC West. And uh, we'll preview the AFC East and the AFC South next week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, so we'll move on to the fourth quarter closeout. Stay tuned. It's the Lockdown Defense Podcast. And we are back with our last segment, the fourth quarter closeout. I'm your host, Coach Defense. This is the Lockdown Defense Podcast. Uh, I appreciate everybody hanging out with me through this time. Uh, we're going to give out some awards for Breakout Players of the Week and uh, Lockdown Defender of the Week. And um, yeah, stay tuned for Big Dummy of the Week because I definitely got something to say about this particular week, man. SMH, SMH, SMH. But uh, it's been a trying time, and I hope that everybody is. Uh, maintaining and managing their mental health as best as you can uh staying safe and definitely doing things that you need to do in regards to keeping yourself well uh if you haven't already please subscribe to my channel uh it's free hit the subscribe button and uh if you're looking for any particular segment in my stream look in the description i have a timestamp listed for every segment of my stream and every uh segment that i do so if you click on the link in the description it'll take you right to that segment if you want to listen to a particular segment of my podcast but overall i mean it's been a somber week and um you know it's definitely been a lot of different things going on um but i hope everybody can do better you know in the following week and we'll have some better and more positive energy for next week but um let's get into these awards real quick All right, so breakout players of the week for this week in particular, we're going to go with LeBron James, uh, averaging 33 points a game, eight rebounds and 10 assists, and closing out uh, the Portland Trailblazers in uh, four-to-one fashion. So shouts out to LeBron for winning that award this week. And also Jamal Murray. Um, <laughs> his performances have been uh, short of nothing short of legendary. He's logged two 50-point games out of the last three. Um, averaging a total of 47.3 points per game 
this week seven assists and eight rebounds so shouts out to them brothers and uh they've definitely been doing their thing and balling and jamal's performance tonight pushed them to a game seven so we're going to get a game seven out of that uh nuggets jazz series it should be epic so i'll definitely be tuned into that and lockdown defender of the week i mean i searched high and low for somebody that put up better numbers than this guy but he seems to be a broken record on my podcast Kawhi leonard uh, Kawhi for the week averaged 10 rebounds, 2.5 assists for the week. He totaled five in the last game alone, steal-wise. And he's had a total of 61 rebounds, 14 steals, and three blocks over a six-game span against the Mavericks. Wow. So, shouts out to them, Jamal, Kawhi, and LeBron for winning the awards for breakout player and lockdown defender of the week. All right, so moving on to Big Dummy of the Week, and I got two this week. Um, I mean, it's, it it goes without saying in some regards if you've been paying attention to the news, sports news, um, and social media. But uh, Brian Erlacher and uh, Herschel Walker, y'all need to come to the front of the congregation. Uh, so Brian Erlacher had some ridiculously racist and insensitive comments to say about the NBA and NFL protesting games. Um, largely about the NBA, but I mean, I'm sure he didn't have, you know, if he had that type of stain, disdain for the NBA, I'm sure he had the same for the NFL, right? So he had, I read them before, we don't got to get into it again. I read his comments and they were terrible. And again, it calls into question to me about what people's personal feelings are, are off the field, even though you play and are protected and, and defended and go to war with plenty of minorities over your life, you still have these type of stances. It makes me sick. It really makes me sick. So, Brian Erlacher, I, I, I'm through with you. And, you know, you know, you said what you said, and, you know, it's no taking it back, and there's no mind apologizing because you trying to save face is going to fix this one. So, I'm, I'm through with you. Um, it's a shame because, like I said, I revered you and respected you as a linebacker, you know, for the years that you've been in the league. And for you to say some type of racially insensitive things that you said over the past week is just ridiculous. Now, Herschel Walker, <laughs> I'm not sure who I'm more ashamed of. I really, I'm not sure who I'm more ashamed of. Social Walker decided to, this was non-sports related, but he decided he wanted to be a pawn and pander for the Republican Party this week and be a pawn and try to sway black voters in the Republican National Conference and giving his vote of confidence for uh, a president who has no inkling of respect or, or care for minorities as a whole. So, but you you classify him as a friend? I highly, I highly doubt that, you know, it's one of those things where he's it's a Steven from Django moment, you know, f- you know, for Mr. Candy, you know, and it just was disgusting to me and I just can't let it go. So so Brown Erlacher and Herschel Walker, you get the big dummy of the week award. You big dummy. So that's gonna wrap it up, man. I appreciate everybody's time and indulgence in my uh, podcast. Uh, might've been a little bit long again because of the previews, but I uh, appreciate your indulgence. Like I said, if you need to, or want to view a certain segment of the video in the description, there are timestamps for each segment. So check that out, hit the subscribe button. As always, I appreciate you everybody's time and listening to the Lockdown Divas Podcast. I am your host, Coach Defense. Step up and lock it down.